It's very strange to be this side of that mic stand. This is my comfort blanket right here. And today I'm in front of it, so this is unnerving, but exciting as well. And, uh, and uh, if you're visiting this morning, or it's your first time with us, or perhaps you've been on holiday and you're back with us today, you're coming in midway through our teaching series. Uh, we've been talking about in Christ, and I put that in the quotation marks. It comes up several times, many times in the New Testament. In most of Paul's letters, he's writing the church in Christ. If you're a believer, you're in Christ. Um, so we've been exploring our identity and how that's changed now uh, as we became a Christian. Um, Colin kicked us off on week one with in Christ, Romans 8, that passage, that well-known passage. In Christ, there is therefore no condemnation for those that are in Christ. On week two, last week, Polly continued that and she picked up that in Christ we can now have the courage and be as bold as a lion. We can have that tenacity. We don't need to be timid or afraid or worried because God is with us. Um, this, week, this week, I shall be exploring Paul's claim in 1 Corinthians 6, whereas in, in Christ you now are a temple for the Holy Spirit. And that's, the, that's what I want us to go home and get this morning. That's exciting news. God has come to make his home in you and in me, in us. God has come to live in us. This is what we're going to spend the majority of what's left of today exploring, how that shapes our understanding, how we can explore that truth that God has come to live in you. It's this theme that I want it to just mess with our heads today. Get that into your head. God lives in you. It's big. It's a big claim. Understanding that I am significant. I am valued, I am precious, I am loved. It's not because of any ability I have. It's not for my ministry, my amazing guitar playing, as you well have noticed. <laughs> it's not for any of these reasons. It's because God has come to live in me. That gives me significance. That's where I find my worth. So we're going to take that through. We're going to take a step-by-step -step journey through the passage. We'll start in verse 13. So 1 Corinthians 6 is the passage in the Bible. It'll come up on the screen. We're not going to go there just yet. I'm going to preamble a bit longer. Um, 1 Corinthians 6, we'll come in at midway through verse 13 and pick up what Paul is saying. But just to set the context for you this morning, as you well know, Paul, as the letter probably suggests, Paul's writing to the church in Corinth, to the people in Corinthia. Corinthia? Why not? Corinth. To the people in Corinth. God is speaking to them. And, he, and if you know the Bible, if you know this passage, you know that this book, they're an outrageous church, aren't they? They're mental. They're just, they're off the wall. They're doing some outrageous things. They're behaving in outrageous ways. And Paul is writing to them going, guys, guys, stop. Stop what you're up to. Have you not seen this? Have you not seen this? You guys are chasing this, but wait a minute, stop that. Have you not seen this? And I think when you hear about the sins they're up to, so they're up to sexually immorality, so they're sleeping around with prostitutes. They're sleeping with their own family. They are suing one another. They're taking one another to a court of law and suing each other before a non-Christian judge. And Paul's like, guys, stop. Girls, stop. Have you not seen this? And I think for me, as a 21st century Christian here this morning, I look at them and go, 
we're not like that, are we? Like, we're not that bad. That, like, I mean, I'm pretty bad, but I'm not that bad. I, I don't go sleeping around. I haven't sued Jez lately. You know, I, I, who's in control of our church? Is it Graham or Jez? I don't think that's a regular argument we're having here, I hope. But the point is, the underlying problem is the same. It's the underlying issue that is the same in both their context in Corinth and our context here in Seaford. And it's this, it's the search for identity. It's the search for significance. It's, it's, that's what they're looking for in these relationships. It's what they're looking for. They, they want to be proven to be right. I want to be right, extolled above my neighbor. I, wanna, I want to be the one that's right and them wrong. It's, a, it's the same underlying issue that's here. This is not just a first century problem. We haven't evolved and escaped this one. This is a problem today, Christian, non-Christian alike, global issue. Where do we find our security? Where do we find our security? Where do we find our significance in our worth? When I, um, when I was younger, uh, I, each of us, when we were younger, we had these dreams, didn't we? We wanted to be, if we got the first slide, if we could stick up the, the, the dreams, right? When I was younger, I always wanted to be a fighter pilot. I wanted to be um, an RAF pilot storming in in a Tornado F3. I'm a bit airplane geek. I loved this weekend with the air show. I'm a super airplane geek. Ask me about airplanes, I know quite a bit. Modest, huh? Um, <laughs> and I wanted to be this pilot storming in in this Tornado F3, shooting missiles at the enemy and taking out other planes in dogfights. Uh, some of you, I imagine, would you wanted to be a doctors, nurses. When you listen, it was always that phrase, when I grow up, I want to be a, and I'm sure you can fill in the blanks for yourself, I want to be a nurse, I want to be a doctor, I want to save lives, I want to be a firefighter, saving people from buildings that are collapsing and burning down. See, I'm a gardener, for those of you who don't know. I didn't ever dream of being a gardener. That wasn't my life's long ambition. It's a bit of a disappointment, really, when I look at what I dreamt of being a fighter pilot and a gardener. <laughs> but each of us have these ambitions. And they're usually, I want to be significant, isn't it? I guess that's what it stems from, even though when you're four, you might not think, I want to be significant, actually. It's that I want to make a difference, take out evil. I want to be the Prime Minister of England. Not David Cameron, me. I want to be a famous footballer. How many of us wanted to be a famous footballer? Adored by the crowds. Chris didn't, he's shaking his head. Jez? No, no, okay. So none of us wanted to be a footballer. Why did you put that one up? Um, <laughs> the rock star. I still want to be a rock star. That dream hasn't died. I'm on my way. I'm here one day. That's why we got that. <laughs> you noticed the new lights? They were in the budget for me. Um, we're all on this quest, all on this search for identity. And the question I put to you this morning is, where are you looking for it? Where do we find it? Um, we will jump into the passage now. But before I do that, I'm going to pray. and Because uh, you need it, I need it. Um, so I just pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you are involved in the inner workings of our lives. I thank you that you care about what I say this morning. 
And I pray that above all, you'd give us eyes to see and ears to hear the message that you love us so much so that you've come to live in us. God, I pray that that would translate this morning through my words, through my illustrations, and through the passage as well, God. Through your word, would you bring this to life, that we may come away with an understanding that our significance is found in you. Amen. So let's have the, the, the passage up on the screen. So this is 1 Corinthians 6. This is for lazy people who didn't bring their Bibles up there. Um, I, I only did because I was preaching, so I thought I'd better bring it today. Um, verse 13, we'll read through. I'm uh, going to come in halfway through. So the body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. By his power... God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh, but whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. See, for the Corinthian church, you see through the passage, most of this is aimed at the sexual immorality that they're partaking in. Uh, A couple of passages before, it's to do with the lawsuits they're suing each other. And a couple of chapters before, uh, they're arguing about who their leadership is. And like I said before, the underlying issue is the same today. Whatever the sins, however different they might look, the the underlying issue is the same. We may not be actively sleeping around or suing one another, but when we turn the measure on ourselves, how often is it that I try and get the last words in an argument? It's quite often, ask Abby. Um, How often do I exalt myself above others? In my workplace, uh, two days a week, there's three gardeners and we work together. And if there's an opportunity for me to look slightly better than the other gardener, I'll take it. Oh, yeah, that was me that pruned that rose. Well, yeah, you like it. You noticed it. Um, how often do I try and win people's expectations, affections, by just, oh, I'm just putting myself out there, putting myself forward? And although, like I said, the sin is different, perhaps less, there's much less of an impact on someone's life than me just saying, oh, I did that and you didn't, no, 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 than sleeping around. The underlying issue is the same. And the question, I searched, the question I put to you this morning, where are you looking for acceptance? Are you looking on Facebook? Probably if you're of the older generation, not so much. But if you're the younger generation, maybe. Maybe you're continually checking your status update on your phone. How many people have liked me? Not enough. Oh, no one's checked my most recent status update. You're always having a look. Do you know how many friends you have off the top of your head on Facebook? I don't. Um, 
Or is it your boyfriend or your girlfriend? Are you, are you willing to sacrifice an aspect of your purity this morning so that you can feel loved or be affirmed or find that sense of worth? Is it in the workplace, like I briefly joked about? Is it, I, I just put myself above, I will knock others down a peg or two so that I look better. Are you constantly on your phone, again, checking your emails, promoting yourself above others? And again, some of these things are not inherently wrong, but the attitude of I want to be proven to be better than someone else, I want to show myself, I want to show my boss that they are nothing in compared to how great I am, that's where the, the, the sin lies. For me, is another slightly jokey bit, it shows itself, and please don't take this too seriously, when Ollie leads worship. Can't stand that. Uh, <laughs> Ollie leads worship, and people come up to me and go, wasn't Ollie great? Didn't he lead so well? The presence of God felt really tangible this morning. Or, he just, he's got such a nice voice. And I'm sitting there going, yes, he's lovely, isn't he? We don't mind Ollie. Um, what's being challenged here is my ego my desire to be the greatest worship leader ever. And I fight that every day. I fight that every day, the desire to be the best. Because it's not about that. It's not why we do this. Not to be the biggest church, the best church, the most efficient church. And I say that jokingly. Ollie's a great guy, and he led really well this morning. And uh, it is such a privilege to have him over here. Uh, But it's something that I need to check in myself. Is that sense of competition, trying to outdo someone, trying to find my significance and my worth in my, if you're sad, like me, your ministry, or perhaps your job, or your, those sorts of things. In verse 13, Paul writes that our bodies are now meant for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. In verse 15, he questions them, saying, do you not know that you're members of Christ? He says, are you going to take Christ into that situation? You extolling yourself, you lifting yourself up, pulling others down? If you're a Christian, are you going to take Christ with you into that situation? For the Corinthians, it's them sleeping around. He says, are you going to take the members of Christ which are in you, are you going to take them into the, the sexual immorality that's going on here? In verse 16, he He talks about this bond, this physical bond that's formed between a man and a woman when they have sex. He says there's something more than just the physical going on here. There's something spiritual. Um, He says in, uh, he he references Genesis 2, he says the two are becoming one flesh. There's something knit together in this. Uh, And he uses that picture there to explain in verse 17. I think we've got verse 17 on the slide. It says, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. When you became a Christian, your spirit and God's spirit was intertwined, became one. I've got a brief picture of what that might look like. So I've got some orange squash. I've got some water. Okay, water tastes like water. Orange squash tastes very orangey if you don't dilute it. Okay. No, in verse 17, Paul's saying that when you became a Christian, God's spirit and your spirit were joined. 
So we take the lid off the orange squash without spilling it everywhere. Okay, so I've got two separate liquids here. One taste of water, one taste of orange. As I pour the orange squash into the water, something happens. Now, no longer can I see two different liquids, can I? How many liquids do you see? One. Very good. You guys are quick. One liquid. No longer the orange squash and the water. I have one. They've become one. I can't separate the water from the orange squash. I can no longer siphon the orange out of the water. They have become one. When I became a Christian, something similar to this, but much more amazing, happened. God's spirit and my spirit would became one like this, but more better. It's got a bigger, than, it's much bigger consequence than orange becoming water, flavored orange, very lovely. My spirit was, it was joined to God's, and the best thing is it can no longer be separated any more so than I can withdraw the orange squash from the water. And something else has happened too. It tastes different now, doesn't it? It doesn't taste of just water. There was water in this jug, orange in that one. It tastes different as well, doesn't it now? It doesn't taste of just water. The taste has changed. When God came to live in me, I started changing the way I acted. My behavior changed. No longer was I striving for my own desires, my own glory, my own sense of worth. I started to live for God. I wanted to please God. God wants to live in you. God lives in you if you know Jesus this morning. So much so that he cannot be separated from you. And God wanting to live with mankind is not a, it's not like a, it happened when Jesus came. It happened long before Jesus. The story of the Bible is God seeking relationship with you. God seeking relationship with me. That's the essence from day one, beginning of creation, through to revelation, when you get the multitude standing before God in heaven. The story is this. God wants relationship with mankind. He will stop at nothing to achieve his goal, and he's God, so he's going to win. See, before the fall, Adam and Eve lived together in this garden called Eden, we know. And they lived in harmony between God, themselves, and creation. And then they fell, they sinned against God. But God has not cut them off. He's still got a desire for them. He still wants relationship. And he calls a man called Abraham. So we're going to dive through like the first half of the Bible in about two minutes. Okay, you ready? God, God calls a man called Abraham, gets Abraham and says, right, through you, through your family, I'm going to restore relationship to mankind. You've tried to run away, I'm coming back at you. He promises rescue. Then Moses, a bit later on, God comes to Moses and says, right, I'm going to give you a plan. This is how I want to meet with you. And he sets on you here about the tent of meeting. And if, you're, if you don't know it so much, it's God comes to live on earth in the power of his Holy Spirit, in the power of his presence, uh, and 
and mankind can once again have some sort of a relationship with God through sacrifices and, and something called the law and fulfilling uh, God's promises. Okay? When Jesus comes to earth, something incredible happens. God is always on the initiative. No matter how fast you run, how far you run, God's always on the initiative. And when Jesus comes to the earth, he makes a way that mankind can once again have relationship with God. No matter who you are, no matter where you are, Jesus comes to restore that relationship. He overcomes, he strides over the obstacles of sin that all of us fall over. He just glides through them, knocks them out of the way. Those things that stop us from knowing God, those things that stop us from seeing God, Jesus destroys them when he makes a sacrifice once and for all, bridging the gap between God and man. We can have relationship with God because of Jesus. Praise God. Uh, This is where I just feel like I just want to lead worship now. Praise God that he is stronger than I am. Praise God that he is more enduring than I am. Praise God that his promises don't end when we mess it up. His promises are not bound or, no, I don't know what I'm going to say here. Praise God that he is bigger and stronger than me. In John 14, verse 16, can we have that on the screen, Alex? Jesus says this, If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father... And he will give another helper to you to be with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees or knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. You don't have to make sacrifices for your sin anymore. Jesus has done that. And Jesus has promised that the Holy Spirit, the presence of God, is going to come and live inside you. This is incredible news. God, the King of the universe, has come to live in me, come to live in you. That's where my worth comes from. That's where my significance comes from. Not from how good a gardener I am, not from how good a worship leader I am. My worth is found in the God, the glorious one who created life, comes to live in me. I don't need to search for it by sleeping around. I don't need to search for it desperately, filling my days, looking for some sort of hidden meaning to life. And if you're a Christian this morning, you don't even need some weird voice of God moment. God has put his spirit inside you. In um, Corinthians 6, verse 19, if we could have that up, Alex, Paul really drives home his point. He says, do you not know? I'll let her get up there. Um, That would be the wrong verse. I'll go with this one. It says 6 verse 19. Paul goes, Or do you not know that your body is a temple for the Holy Spirit? Whatever understanding you have of temple, it probably wasn't God's. God has made you a temple for the Holy Spirit. See, what's your understanding of the temple? Is it? If if I was to go out into Seaford High Street and say, What do you understand by my body is a temple? They probably wouldn't say, well, actually, it's the presence of God now lives inside you. If you said, 
what do you mean by it? What does it mean that your body is now a temple? They might say, well, it's, maybe it's the front cover of Men's Health magazine. Have you seen that guy? He's, he's the guy on the front cover that's topless, obviously, and he's got nice pecs and muscles. He's got well ar- good arms, good strong-looking arms. He's not the awkward that's massive and can barely move. He's the guy that's well-toned, looks after himself, that's the guy that, they, that, in my mind, that's the image I think of. Oh, Men's Health magazine, that's the temple of the Holy Spirit. Fit-looking guy, looks like he can handle himself. Um, or perhaps, I, I imagine men and women have a very different view of this. If I was to ask a woman, say, what was the, what's the woman thing? What do you think is uh, a view of, oh, your, temple is a, your body is a temple. I don't think you get the fit-looking guy. You might have some, I apologize if this offends any of you. You might have the woman that's, in some sort of calm, tranquil, lakeside place, emptying her mind, got a bowl of fruit in front of her. She looks happy. She looks like she's doing well. Um, (laughs) The point is, Jesus comes and says, no. And Paul says, the body is now meant for the Holy Spirit, not for strange, outer-worldly, freeing-the-mind experiences or the peak of men's physical health, which will definitely decline, I promise you that. God's made you a house to live in. You are a home for God to come and dwell in. No longer is it in the temple, it's inside you. It's inside me. And it wasn't free either. In verse 20... Paul says, for you are bought at a price. God has always wanted relationship with you. Day one. But it wasn't free. It was going to cost him. The gospel is this, that we fell away. We ran away. We chose to pursue our own dreams, our own passions, instead of God's. And at the cross, Jesus comes to reconcile you to God. You didn't want relationship with God. I, I didn't want relationship with God. I was quite happy managing on my own. If you'd come to me and said, I, if you asked me when I was 17, do I want to be a Christian? I'm all right, thank you. I'm quite happy without God. It cost God. At the cross, we see Jesus for the first time experiencing separation from his Father. Jesus and God the Father, God the Son and God the Father, had a relationship much like this, inseparable. You can't tell the two from the other, one from the other. And for the first time at the cross, it's taken away. The two are torn apart. For the first time in eternity past, it's a long time, in the Garden of Gethsemane, we see Jesus sweating blood on his knees saying, Father, I do not want to do this. I don't want to go ahead with this. But if there is no other way, then not my will, but your will. God 
Jesus, God the Son, Jesus, is separated from God the Father for the first time so that we might be joined to God the Father. We know God the Father because of Jesus. We know the Spirit of God lives in us. We have the Spirit of God living in us because of Jesus. I know I'm significant. I know I'm valued. I find my worth because of Jesus. And I'm reminded of this every day because he's put his Holy Spirit inside me. And that reminds me. I don't need to turn aside to the fleeting affections of man or women anymore. The fleeting praise of man or woman, it just doesn't satisfy. It doesn't last long enough. Jesus has placed his spirit inside me. And I I, I guess, can you imagine, can you imagine the type of church that we would be, the type of people that we would be if we understood this like Jesus understands this? When Jesus lived on the earth, he was he was so confident, wasn't he? You read, through his, the, the, you read through the gospel accounts of his ministry, you just see he was just so confident, so assured that God was in him, living in him. So assured. It changed the way he, or I don't know if it ever changed, but the fact is the way he spoke to people, it says he was full of authority. He was confident in the able and the, and, and the power of God. And can you imagine what our lives would look like if we lived like that, if we understood that the way Jesus understood that? I would love my wife the same way that Christ loves me. I wouldn't cheat or lust longfully after other women. I wouldn't turn my affections aside. I wouldn't need to feed the desire for affection in other things. I would spend time with my children, loving them and teaching them, revealing that God too wants to live in them. I wouldn't find ways to distract my children. My two boys, when I get home or on Saturday even, I think on Saturday at 8 o'clock in the morning, I think, yes, stay with the boys, this is good. By 11 o'clock I'm thinking, I need a DVD or something that I can put on so that I can do what I want to do. Can you imagine the time that we would give people if we understood that? In our families, in our workplaces, we would love our colleagues the way that Jesus loves me. Not talking them down. Not belittling them to try and build us up. Putting others before myself. Thinking, others of, thinking of others as greater than myself. Seeking the interest of others. When, when there's bullying going on in the workplace or something else, I don't join in with it. In fact, I encourage the victim. I say, don't listen to that rubbish. What about us as a church? Can you imagine how we would go into Seaford with confidence, with boldness, assured that God is with us because he lives inside of us now? Changes everything. Let's be a church that really strives to show the world how wonderful our God is. Let's show the world that they too can know God and that God has always wanted relationship with them and that God has wants to put his spirit inside them so that he, they too can have the confidence that we have.
I'm going to pray. Oli, if you want to come up. God gives us hope. God living in us gives us hope and strength to persevere whatever comes whenever. It's good news. I'm going to end by praying. Why don't we close our eyes? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you've come to live inside me. I thank you so much that you've put your spirit in me. I thank you that you didn't, your plan of salvation didn't stop when Adam and Eve fell. I thank you that your plan of salvation didn't stop when I was 17 and disinterested. Your plan of salvation carried on. You chased me. You want me. You desire me. You desire to live in me. Father, thank you so much. Lord, we want to be those that are convinced of this and that the implications change our lives. Thank you, Father. Amen.